Eric Everhart has been one of the top paid and most recognized performers in adult films over the last two decades. This was one of the key takeaways that I got from being in the porn business was you really start to learn how you can separate your emotions effectively so that they serve you. He has won numerous male performer awards and been enshrined in the Hall of Fame at the Adult Video News and X-rated critics organizations. You can't look at porn as a thing to educate you with because a lot of the things that we do, we do purely for visual impact. Since then, he has dedicated his time and effort to helping high achievers by teaching them elite level sexual skills in order to master the bedroom like they dominate the boardroom. And these are the, the two worst words you could ever say in the, in the bedroom, I think at any time, is I hope. I hope I get hard. I hope she likes me. I hope I last long enough. I hope, I hope, I hope. You look at that language, you are presupposing things are going to go bad. He is also the author of Unleash Your Sexual Superpowers, a porn star's guide to sexual mastery. For every guy that thinks that the job is a panacea, it's really tough on, on guys and girls mentally. And like I've never known so many people that to kill themselves. This podcast is here to offer you the tools and strategies that you need to level up your life as a man in today's world. So Eric, having been a porn star and having slept with over 5,000 women and from the outside looking in uh, to every man listening to this right now, that seems fucking amazing. However, I'm interested to know about some of the tough lessons that you took from those experiences? Well, if we look at like the tough lessons, I mean, first and foremost, you learn, and I'm going to say this in, 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 in the right way, you learn the totality of, of sort of female psychology. And it's not all good, right? You know, there can be a lot of women that might, you know, be very negative. They might put you down. They might be harsh. They might be evil. They might, you know, like you get to see all sides of what women can be the good and the bad. So it does in some ways when you're, when you hit those numbers, the, the sheen is taken off. And I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be a bad thing, but it just is what it is. You start seeing women differently. Then there does become this a factor that you know what you like and that's that really becomes pandora's box as well because i've often said like if you were a virgin and you marry your high school sweetheart there is something magical in that ignorance is bliss like you don't know anything else okay as soon as we now put one other person that you've slept with now we have a comparison so now magnify that by 5000 and see what you start comparing right? And so then it becomes you are looking for this mm, needle in a haystack, you know, this unicorn, because you can say, well, you know, I love this thing about Susie, but I love this thing about Janet. And then this thing about, you know, Rachel, and okay, how do I find that all in one person, right? And that becomes a little difficult when you start seeing the different things that are out there. So when you look at the scope of women, you can get a lot of information, you can get a lot of data, you can start to really understand women's bodies on a level that I could never fathom have being able to understood before, simply because it becomes like seeing the matrix. In a sense, you start to really see the principles of how women's bodies work. And you see the underlying themes that that are present in all women. So that when you now are thinking, okay, well, how do I effectively get them off in the bedroom? You understand what does work, right? There's no sort of secrets. It's not, it's not happenstance. Like when you start out and you just happen to do something that works, but you don't really understand why it works. And you try it on the next girl and it doesn't work. And you kind of get frustrated and you're like, well, I don't know. Like I did this thing and it worked then, but I try to hear because you're just trying things, but you're not understanding the, the overarching principles. And so once you kind of see the principles and you can see the matrix now, now you can start applying that. So the 
depth of women, if you're consciously aware and you're paying attention, can give you that data that I just don't think you could get any other way because you're not going to get it in men's health. You're not going to get it in Cosmo. Nobody's going to teach it to you in a sex ed class. God, they didn't even tell me what you were doing in sex ed class. They just kind of refer to it. It's like, this is a penis. This is a vagina. They never said one went in the other even. Right. So, I mean, this is what you're dealing with out there. You know, what guys have to deal with from that perspective. And, you know, if guys want to have bedroom confidence, right. They want to be confident in the bedroom. They need to be competent right? You got to have that competency first in order to be confident. And that's just simply like, okay, I got to know the hows and the whats. How does this go? What do I have to do? And I like to present it in a very ABC, XYZ kind of format for men, because we understand it and it can give you a roadmap that's going to work. So that's kind of how I look at it. Can you give us some of those ABC, DFGs? Well, like, for example, you know, with the, with pussy eating, the, the thing that guys screw up is usually they're, they're just kind of wandering around like a lost puppy dog. They don't really know what they're doing. And so I've often said, well, we've got a few principles that we need to really adhere to. Number one is looking at getting women off through the lens of the vibrator, because the vibrator can teach you more about women than almost anything else in terms of how you need to approach it. And the three main principles of vibrators are number one, they stay on the clit. And so many guys make this mistake because they start going down on their significant other and they're hitting some sidewalls, they're chewing some pussy lips, they're all over the place because they just don't really know like, hey, what, what should I be doing? Once you, I always say, once you've made the, and I use this, this term in quotes, commitment, to get a girl off. Like once your tongue touches that clit, you do not leave it. And I always frame this back in terms of something men can understand. It's like, if a girl was giving you a blowjob and she'd started and she was doing it, and then she just stopped for no reason and decided to go lick your navel or go, you know, suck on your nipples or something, how would you feel? Absolutely frustrated. So why are you doing it to them? The principles are the same. So once you start, you, you do not stop. And when you ever watch a woman with a vibrator, it, she puts that Hitachi on her clit, never leaves, right? So that's kind of principle number one. Number two, what do we learn about vibrators? They are rhythmic and consistent in their application of power. She sets it on whatever setting she wants, and it stays there. It's not like it's moving a million miles an hour and then slows to a crawl for the next little bit and then back to a million miles an hour. And then it's not all over the map. It's very steady at a very rate of speed pressure. So again, from, from your perspective as a man, it's like, okay, it's all about consistency, consistency of speed, consistency of pressure, consistency of rhythm. And you're maintaining that until one of the cues that you're looking for tells you that you need to change. And then number three, you know, Vibrators don't stop ever, right? They, those things are like the terminator of, of vaginas, right? And there's a big piece to learn from that because when you think about how orgasms develop, they develop like a wave. So you're, you're putting in this time, you're putting in this effort, you're building this wave. And if you just stop for five seconds to wipe your nose, grab a drink of water, adjust yourself, five seconds is all it takes for that wave to just fall off. And now you got to spend the next two, three, five minutes building it up again. And, and they say, it's the same thing. Like a girl could be, you know, giving you a blowjob, and she's got everything perfect. And then there's that always that moment where she decides she's going to wipe her nose or she adjusts her hand or she does something that now stops it from working. And you were so close and suddenly now you're so far away. And so just even right there from the, from those principles, we start to see, okay, this is how we need to start approaching women so that we can be effective as guys in, in getting them off. Mm -hmm. You talk about pressure there in terms of the, the vibrator, mm -hmm. but men as well put themselves under some severe pressure when it comes to those situations. Oh yeah. How can um, they feel more relaxed and therefore <clears throat> better able to perform in those situations? Well, one of the things, so when I, when I look at, um, 
kind of performance anxiety, right? It's something that I've had to deal with my whole life, mainly because I've, since my inception in the business, gone through experiences that always would challenge me and, and challenge my ability to keep it together. And so there were certain things that I really started to learn were extremely helpful in, in overcoming that anxiety. Um, one of them especially, and so I always think this is, this is key when we start looking at um, ways to overcome it as men. I always tell guys like, okay, if you're, if you're in the process, you're in the sexual interaction with the woman, first thing we want to focus on is getting her off first so that we can lose the albatross and that pressure to perform, right? Because in, in my whole life, I've never seen any woman that you gave multiple orgasms to that didn't call you back, right? It, like, so let's, let's think about it in terms of setting ourselves up for success because you're, you're, you're worried that you're not going to be able to perform. You're worried that what she's going to think of you, that becomes the big thing, right? Like what's she going to think of me if I fail, if I this, if I that, right? So let's start by just, you know, removing as much of that as we can. So we fo first, we focus on getting her off first. Do that. You're getting a free pass. If you are unable to get it up, she's still going to call you back. I've never seen any woman that didn't because from her perspective, it's like, okay, well, you didn't come fine, but you got me off five times. I'm good, man. I'll call you later. So that's kind of number one, you know, number two, it comes down to our ability to focus. And I've always said, focus becomes the biggest thing because when you are 100% focused on what you are doing, it prevents you from really thinking. And when, and you know, I, I know you're a gym guy, right? So you, this will probably resonate with you because it's, it's sort of the way that I have always looked at it and the way that I've used it in the bedroom. You know, you get, say, 300 pounds on a, on a squat rack or 300 pounds on the bench, right? You know, and that weight's coming down. Like, is, is, is there any point that you're thinking about what you're going to be eating for dinner? No. No. And why is that? Because there is so much hyper-focus going into what you are doing. It's like life or death, weight must move up. That's it, right? So where can we channel that same amount of focus into what we are doing to the woman? What are we feeling? What are we experiencing? Because if I'm, if I'm putting that much attention on my tongue and feeling what the clit is telling me, now I'm not in my mind thinking because I can't have focus on what I'm feeling and be spinning in my thoughts at the same time. It's one or the other. Right. So I can oscillate and I can be all up in my head. And then I'm just going through the motions with what I'm doing. Sure. We do that all the time. Right. How many times is somebody at work and they should be, you know, typing or whatever, and they start daydreaming and they're running off in their heads, or they can just, Hey, I'm laser focused and I'm on the task at hand. And so it becomes, what is the task that you're doing? And, and now the focus becomes that I always said, it's like, it, it's creating the white noise in your mind. Right. It's like, uh, like that little kid from the poltergeist movies, you know, where the screen was all crackly and she's like, they're here. And I think it's always that static. That's all that needs to be going on in your mind. Because I remember I had a, a famous photographer watch me perform once in the early, in the early two thousands. And, uh, it was his big question to me after it was all said and done. And I'm all in a sweaty pile of mess. He asked me, he goes, Oh man, that was incredible. So what were you thinking of when you were doing that? And I, I'd never been asked it before. I just turned to him. I was like, nothing. It's like, what am I supposed to be thinking about? Like, I really couldn't even fathom. Like, what are you supposed to be thinking about when you're, you're supposed to be being sex? You're supposed to be doing sex, but you're not going to be thinking sex. There's no thinking involved from that perspective. There can be, you know, strategizing. And that's sort of something I get into when I work with different clients, right? I, I tell them, okay, well, if you're going to last long enough in the bedroom, we need to strategize, strategize it, right? Like you need to have a strategy because probably what you've been doing is hindering your ability to last as long as you consciously want to. Because most guys aren't going into it thinking that they have 
all the tools that they actually have in their sexual toolbox. So they just kind of, you know, fly into it and then the urge to come strikes them. And then they, then they start to throw their hands up in the air. Like, ah, it's, it's hopeless. It's like, no, man, it's not hopeless. You just don't have the right tools because when you have the tools, now you have agency. You know, once you have agency, now you can call your shot because I don't ever think it's about lasting forever. I mean, that's a big misnomer that guys have. I've, I've worked with clients where I've had to work the opposite with them, where they've been unable to ejaculate within a decent amount of time. And the problem with women, and I'm sure you've experienced this, right? Like there's so many paradoxes within women, right? Because it's like, okay. And this is, I think goes back to the masculinity piece where there is a burden on men, you know, and, and there's no way around it. At least not that I can see when, when we're talking about in the bedroom, there is a burden to perform and it's not going away and there's no way to make it go away. So it's really becomes one of those things like you can't run from it. You have to deal with it because the women are always going to be the deciders of having sex by and large, they make that decision. And we are always going to be the ones that are the action makers of it happening because, you know, you don't get an erection. She could be the greatest. I mean, she could be the supermodel tigress in heat wanting to pounce you. I mean, she can want you all that she wants. If you don't get it up, it's not happening. So the act of doing it is, is totally under your control. And that's something that guys just have to understand. And I think rather than playing the victim within it, it's like, okay, well, how can I, how can I step up into my masculinity? Cause it's, it's so strange. And, and I know I'm rambling here, but when we're kids, I mean, we've all experienced it. I remember when I was in school, first thing, it was like high school, guys are like talking about dick size and everybody's comparing, right? And I mean, I just remember these, you know, come on, I've done porno for, you know, 24 years. So I've seen it all, right? These sizes, these kids are banding about in class. I mean, Jesus, they would have all been A-lister porn guys, right? But you know how kids are, right? But that comparison starts young. And so I think within us as men, there's no way to sort of strip away our sense of masculinity from our sense of our sexuality and our prowess. It's so intertwined, and I don't think it's just societal. I think it's also biological. Like, I think there's a piece where, you know, we're all competing against each other in some fashion, right? Because guys are always competitive. Um, and I think it's just, it even goes into the sexual realm. So I don't know that there's a way, even if you wanted to get rid of it from, from men, I don't think that you could, um, but that's kind of just my thoughts on the subject. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I came across a recent study that showed that the majority of Viagra sales is coming from men under the age of 25. So there's obviously something fucking wrong there because again was we were speaking before we started recording you slept with so many women in the porn industry but never had to take viagra and yeah. even i'm amazed by that <laughs> and i'm 38 years old and i'm sure you're having a lot of these 20 year olds now absolutely astonished by this fact so what do you feel has changed there Oh man, there's so many things that have changed. Um, the biggest one that I think is really behind it is, is mental. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at it, at least 40% of erectile dysfunction is psychogenic. So these are all problems in the mind. And when I look at young guys today, they don't believe in themselves. And and it can be a failure of society. I know within the porn business, when we were talking about this earlier, it's become like the reverse four minute mile because when I started, those drugs didn't exist. And so you knew everybody was just naturally doing it. And it was, I mean, I will tell you, it was a self filtering process and we can go into this a little bit more too, because it might be, there might be some nuggets we can pull out just around mindset and masculinity too, because I will say 
before the drugs came on, you really only had two groups of men and they were not the pretty boys. <laughs> you had two groups and it was, and, but each one had a unique sort of mindset. Um, but you would fundamentally, you would either see the guys that got in the business were guys that were um, kind of shunned when they were in high school and they all had a chip on their shoulder. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to do this. And they, and they had this, um, it was like an animal lust for women, right? It was like they'd been tortured souls, sort of, right? Like a little bit. So you had that group of guys and they were probably the best performers. And then the other group that you had um, had enough exposure because they generally came from, from a male stripper background. So they were kind of, you know, they were at least comfortable. They were getting on stage all the, all the time. Um, but I would say by and large, it was the, the other group that was the best, you know, performers like they, because you, you'd have that ability to, you know, shut off the anxiety, your, your, your hunger for sexuality could overcome whatever was being put in front of you. And so yeah, it was back then you would always find, um, and it was very strange too, because you'd find the, the, the best looking guys, the guys that you would think would be the studs all fail every single one. So, I mean, that kind of is like, when we're thinking about mindset, well, what's going on there too, right? Where there's, they get so in their heads yet you would think they would be the ones that would have the easiest time of it. And we would just see over and over. Um, they would, they would all fail. And so now, yeah, I, I, I see exactly what you're talking about, but I think it's even bigger than just the porn industry. I think now every young kid out there, again, it becomes that belief system. They, they see like, um, they see their friends taking it. They're like, oh, well, you know, if you want to last forever, you have to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, no, I mean, Jesus, it, this is, this is something that your body wants to do, right? And you are filled with more testosterone than anybody, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're 21 through 25. I mean, you're at your peak, peak of physicality, peak hormonal levels, peak everything. Why do you now need this? And, and I think part of it is, well, they think that they're going to need it to, be this kind of porn star in bed, even though they don't really know what that means, right? And then it's sort of the, the fear, right? Like they've got, they've got so many fears. And I think that can also be coming from the fact that expectations, at least the idea of expectations of what women want have become much higher and much higher. And so guys feel that they can't live up to these you know, fantasies of what they think women want or what society says they need to be able to perform like. Um, and so I think that's kind of part and parcel to it. But, but I, what you're talking about, I've seen tons of, and it is strange that kids so young are taking drugs that really should be meant for a 60 year old guy. Yeah. I mean, I can reflect back my own experience because I grew up when I was, I think I was in my late teens or maybe early teens, whenever the internet first came in. So didn't have that access to porn straight away. It came through magazines or it came through thinking of some girl in school or who was wearing a skirt or whatever. <laughs> then I moved on to images on the internet. So porn wasn't so prevalent until I'd say into my twenties, really, when when the videos came out and it was it was there in your face, and then it, then it's on your phone, so it's accessible all the time. And I do believe that that exposure to porn on a consistent basis, or on a on a very frequent basis at least, it's given a lot of men some false well a, a lot of false expectations about what happens in the bedroom. Would you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, what what I've seen that's been really interesting is the fact that, and I've said this often, porn, like when we do porn, we're doing it to sell something. So everything about it is geared visual, all of it. 
Um, and there can be even positions that will do. I would never tell any of my clients to do it in the bedroom. Like they're horrible positions. Like I know how bad they are. The girls know how bad they are. Right. So you can't look at porn as a thing to educate you with, because a lot of the things that we do, we do purely for visual impact. Now, in terms of the, of the kids, yeah, I, this is a problem because I know like myself, right? Like I, I, I started the same way. Like I had access to some magazines, right? I mean, I remember even jerking off to the Sears catalog because they had the little lingerie section of the <laughs> Sears catalog, right? I mean, and we laugh at it, but I mean, you know, your young kid hopped up with testosterone, you'll grab whatever's there. So the fact that now the internet came along and there's zero policing of it is, well, it's clearly bad for the kids because we didn't have the same dopamine hit that they get now, right? Like, it's like you had that magazine. And I mean, if you were anything like me, you had probably three magazines and they were cherished and they stayed under your bed for decades, right? Like, it's like, these are the, you know, the, the golden children. Um, now, you know, kids are just click, click, click. They could spend three hours and go through 3000 images online. And that's a massive continual hit dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. And we see how it is. You know, I mean, I can even see how bad it is that I, I have to do my business on my smartphone. Jesus, new notification, new notification. And you, it hits your dopamine, the same thing. I'm like, Oh my God. Like if I was one of these kids that was just click, click, click going through the porno, I don't know what I'd be doing with myself. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely think it's hurting. And, you know, in terms of, in terms of men's, psyche well yeah the way the way porn has gone now has made it even worse because when i look back at at my career in porn and it was always visual but not to the degree that it was now and what i mean by that is again the when i started you know you had there was always five criteria that you needed if you were going to be a, a a plus famous actor and the first one of course was be able to you know obtain a hard on within about two minutes at any time that you're told to we had a lot of guys back in the day they were good looking super well hung none of them could could do that piece none of them could get hard so they were never in the business so you would have you'd still have guys that were above average but not to the degree that you do now because now all the guys that would never have been able to get hard 20 years ago, they can take the needle and they will be hard. So now it becomes even more cartoonish for guys because you'll have these guys. Yeah, they are freaks of nature out there, but you've got even more of them coming into the business because without the pharmaceutical drugs, they would never be able to get hard and they were never on screen. Now, that's the first thing people look for. They're like, okay, how big are you? Yeah, you're big enough. We will stick a needle in that thing. It will be hard and we don't care about your health. And that's just how it runs. Like, you know, there's, there's no, no, no company that cares about health. They just care about bottom line. So yeah. And, and to be fair, these kids don't care about their health either because there's, there should be no 21 year old that thinks putting a needle in his dick is a good idea. Like I can't fathom where they're like, you know what? This can't be so bad for you, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's also prevalent in the aesthetics because steroid use as well is has gone through the roof. And again, I know a lot of young teenage men, sixteen plus, who are using steroids, injecting the stuff in their bodies because they have this sort of expectation as to how to look, or they have this pressure that they need to have muscles or look a certain way to be attractive to a woman. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is causing a detrimental impact on their health and well-being in later life, such as the same as sticking a needle in your penis or drugs over time. So yeah, there's a, there's an ignorance around the consequences of, their actions and i think the ignorance is undermined by the pressure that they feel yeah 100 percent. because like and i don't know what the answer is going to be 
for some men moving forward because, you know, the pressures, you know, the pressures of women, the pressures of society, I don't see that going away anytime soon, right? But I think from my perspective, what I can show them is, look, you know, there is another way. Um, and your mind is way more powerful than anything else. I mean, I've, I've personally been in some situations where, where even I was shocked what I was able to pull off. And that really taught me, okay, here's what's possible, right? I mean, I remember, you know, going through, through my, my methods to kind of overcome performance anxiety and, and build positive, positive feedback loops in the brain. And I was working in, in Budapest, this was about 2004. And I remember at high noon, I got an erection in the town square with police across the street watching, and it's all committed to tapes if anybody doubts me. Um, and at that time, nobody could believe that I did that. Even I afterwards, like, you know, after, after I, I got back home, I, I was like, how did I manage to pull that off? Right. But it was just getting in the right mindset, you know, building belief systems that you can do it. And then just quieting that negative voice that that's telling you that anything is bad. Right. And focusing on the process. I mean, really just focusing on what you're doing. So everyone listen to this now. The man listens to this now. The question burning in their mind is, okay, how the fuck could you do that? It, like, did you have to masturbate? Or was this sort of some sort of zen focus that you got into in order to achieve this hard on? Well, no, I, I, I always say that you have, you have two distinct types of hard ons. And most guys collapse it into one, right? But I, from my personal opinion, you have two. So you have what I call the psychological erection, like the erection of the mind. That's what guys typically will think of when they think of erection. It's like, okay, like I'm turned on. I see something in the woman. I make out with the woman, but there's no direct stimulation of your penis happening at all. And then you've got a second one where you don't need to be turned on at all. There doesn't need to be any sort of um, boost coming psychologically instead, rather what you're using is maneuvers of consciousness and you are purely focused on feeling the sensations. And if you just purely feel the sensations, the physical contact can get you hard. And so you really have to look at how sure if you can combine both elements, great, but you can totally separate them as well. I've always said, um, you know, if I was relying on a psychological hard on, I would have had a job for one week, not 24 years, right? And as a man, you do, this was one of the key takeaways that I got from the, from being in the porn business was you really start to learn how you can separate your emotions effectively so that they serve you. Because that's kind of the key point, right? Like, how can I control my emotions? How can I shut them off? How can I compartmentalize them when needed? so that I can achieve a hard on whenever I want. And that's really key. And so within that, like when I, when I did the aforementioned um, square incident, um, one of the things that I preach to guys is like, look, you can, through the power of the hint of blood phenomenon, where you're getting just even 15% blood flow just going, what I've always found is it resets your psychology because now you are instilled with belief and I've done it many times. And it's just that we get that first little 15% blood flow. That's all we need for us to just, it, it, what it does is it tells us our dick works. It tells us it's going to be okay. And it's like a total, it's like a total reset because we're filled with anxiety. We're sitting there. We're like, Oh my God, I hope, right? And these are the, the two worst words you could ever say in the, in the bedroom. I think any, at any time is I hope, I hope I get hard. I hope she likes me. I hope I last long enough. I hope, I hope, I hope. You, you look at that language, you are presupposing things are going to go bad, right? Rather than having, you know, self-belief, self-confidence, you know, irrational self-belief in yourself, Right. I mean, I'd much rather have that. And when you can get that, you know, 
through, through stimulation, you can get that first 15, 20% of blood flow. Now you can start to have that irrational self-belief because now it's not, I hope it's like, Oh yeah, I know my dick works. Okay. And that's the piece that you need. Like from a psychological perspective, you need that belief because the belief is just going to manifest itself. Right. And, and when you think about it in terms of blood flow, what happens when you start building that, that, that loop in a positive direction, it's like, okay, we get a little bit of blood flow, your psychology resets itself and you say, okay, yeah, it's going to be okay. Well, then as soon as you say it's going to be okay, well, now we start getting more blood flow. Oh, look, oh, I'm going to be able to do this. And we get that we get more blood flow. It's like, it just starts it going in the circle the right way, rather than a negative feedback loop where you're like, oh, I hope I get hard. Oh, it's not happening right away. Oh, look, here we go again. Like you can, that's how the negative space happens with guys thoughts and then they never get it up. And then not only do they not park it that time in their brain, but they bring it over to the next time they're in the bedroom. Now they think, Oh, well, you know, last time I failed and last time, mm -hmm. right. Instead of just saying, you know what, this is a one-off and just leave it where it's at. I mean, just like a goaltender in, in hockey, you know, the good goaltenders, they let in a bad goal in their mind. It's still zero, zero. It's still zero, zero. Yeah. You know what that happened? That was a, that was an anomaly. That's not how I play. And, and so, you know, especially once guys really understand how their bodies work and they know what their default state is. Now you get a real sense of, okay, this is how my body works. And anything that is not that is a one-off. It's an anomaly. It's nothing I'm going to pay attention to mentally because it's, it's bringing that bad event, that time that you struggled, bringing that forward into each and every sexual interaction that you have, that's going to create the anxiety, that's going to create the stress, and that's going to ensure that you do fail again and again and again, because you're, you're, you're living in the past. You need to be totally present now. You can't live in the past. You can't live in the future. You can only be in the here and now with a woman because that's what sex is. It's, it's all about the here and now. Yeah. What I can relate. That's you've just encapsulated my years from 16 to 20 there. I was actually, I think it was 20 before I lost my virginity because of that negative mindset that I was stuck in one bad experience. That was it. That became my, my belief. And then of course, when I wasn't, when I didn't have that intimacy in a real life situation, I was finding that intimacy or connection through porn, which again, I went down that rabbit hole and that created more problems in the long term. So that that negative mindset can, yeah, of course, cause a lot of disruptions in the bedroom and relationship, but it can also become the breeding ground for um, more difficulties in your life wow. outside of those opportunities as well. So yeah, that's yeah, that's it's it's something I've also spoken to some men about. And I do speak to men who have difficulties with their erection in those certain situations and they go through the process of yeah maybe i should take viagra or maybe and i ask well look when you wake up in the morning do you have a hard on yeah i wake up in the morning i've got a hard on well it obviously fucking works then yes. you know <laughs> yeah and that's and that's and that's what i go into with them you know i with my clients i have a whole checklist where i have them tell me what is their default state because that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, what is, what is the state of how it works when there's no pressure, there's nobody around, it's just you and your dick, what's going on? And yeah, for most of them, they're like, oh, it works like a champion. Yeah, well, then that's how it works. That's how it works. You need to understand that. Like, that's the, that's the true state of you. Anything else is, is an anomaly. It's fictitious, but it's not real. Mm -hmm. Yes. For sure. And again, to bring it back to yourself <clears throat> around the, the porn and after porn, perhaps, how has your experiences in that industry had an impact on your relationships today? Wow. Well, kind of interesting, actually. Um, obviously, you know, porn impacts relationships, but for me, it was actually never as much as most people would have thought. 
um, mainly because I was always extremely upfront. And I would also use it as a good filtering mechanism for my life. So, you know, for example, if, if, if I was at uh, some function, I meet some girl and she asks, what do I do for a living? I'm like, oh, professional porn star. And every single one of them would just, they kind of look at you and they're like, no, 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 really. What do you do? Right? It would always be that thing. And I'd be like, I, re- I remember one, one time lying to somebody. And I said, no, no, no. I, I just deliver pizzas for a living. And they go, oh yeah, I knew it had to be something different. I was like, <laughs> so <laughs> that was but, my- no, I would always be, um, very straight and very, very upfront for, for multiple reasons. One, it's always, in my opinion, it's just the correct way to be. Second, uh, I have been there before where I'll be recognized out in public with somebody. And if they did not know what I did for a living, then that would have been an absolute disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Why do all these people want selfies with you? I don't understand. And why are they calling you Eric? doesn't make sense to me. You're just a popular pizza guy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just really good at delivering dominoes. Um, So, yeah. I mean, in terms of of how it uh, does impact relationships, um, I mean, there's always levels of jealousy there's levels of insecurity and you have to you have to learn how to sort of work with that and and massage that for sure um i've definitely experienced a lot of that where your significant other can be can be jealous they can you know feel that they don't maybe measure up they could want to change you um but I don't think in that term, it's really much different than what a lot of guys go through, right? Like if you have your job, if you have your purpose, you know, I think David Data said it best, like, you know, you need, that needs to come first, right? And I was always very clear with that. I said, hey, you know, this is how I make my money. So if you're asking what I'm going to choose at the end of the day, you already have your answer, right? Like, you know, that you know what's happening. So um from, from that perspective, it was like, well, this is a boat. This boat's going in a certain direction. If you want to jump on the boat and have a great time, I would love to have you, but don't grab the steering wheel of the boat. And I think that's just, you know, a, kind of a way to live your life from that perspective. Um, but, you know, for me, it was just so much learning. Um, and I think, you know, if I hadn't of, I think if I hadn't have taken all the learning and and started writing books and helping guys, it wouldn't have meant the same at the end of the day, because it's not, you know, for, for, for every guy that thinks that the job is a panacea, um, it's really tough on, on guys and girls mentally. And like, I've never known so many people to have to, to kill themselves. Like, I don't know anybody else that's ever committed suicide, except a lot of people in the porn industry. And so, and it's on both sides because it's no easier for guys than it is for girls. It's, it's a different struggle. Um, I remember um, my, uh, my, my, my business partner, a fellow director named Mike John, I remember him telling me once, and this was, you know, when I was still in my twenties, but I was, you know, one of the top two guys in the world at that point. And he would tell me, he, he said, look, your job is only an amazing job because you're good at it. He goes, I could not imagine the mental anguish that some of these guys go through if they're on set and they're woodless and you're there for eight hours. Cause you got to like paint the picture of, of the, what you have to go through. Right. It's like, it's not just you and a girl there. It's like, you've got the catering department, you've got the director, you've got, the grizzled old veteran lighting guys that have seen probably 20,000 porn sets and they just want to go the fuck home right now to get home to their wife and kids. And so they're looking at their watches and they're smoking cigarettes and they're like, Hey man, get it together. Like we got to go. Right. And then you've got the location that's being paid for. You've got the girl, like all this stuff and everybody's paycheck is, is riding purely on your ability to get a heart on. And so if you can't, you know, if you can't, uh, it's a cliche, bad pun, but rise to the occasion. Um, everybody suffers. And so 
I, I don't really think it's any different than the pressures that you could see with sports athletes kind of for that perspective, you always see um, whatever your favorite sport is, whether it's football, whether it's hockey, you know, you get to that championship game and sometimes the best players in the world aren't the best players that day because the pressure becomes too much for them. And then you'll have some, somebody else that he can get his mind right. And he's, he's the superstar just because no matter what the pressure he can at least deal with it. And, and I think for guys, I mean, you know, really this is the big lesson for life too. It's like, well, no matter what pressure comes at you, how can you deal with it? And I'm sure that's what you what you know, all the guys that you work with. I mean, that's probably one of the main things you're kind of teaching them is like, well, okay, how can, how can you keep pushing forward and how do you absorb this pressure and, and keep have from having the anxiety? Because again, the, the burden of performance exists. Like there's no way a guy is going to get around it. You know, he, instead, what he needs to do is he needs to lean into it and he needs to learn that he has tools that he just doesn't realize he has to be able to perform better. And it's not reaching for the Viagra and it's not, you know, going for some needle and it's not some pharmaceutical thing. You know, it's, it's simple, basic mindset shifts that can really catapult him to being able to do whatever he wants to do and better. Yeah that he has the control, he has the power, not the woman or not society or not his parents, mm-hmm. not anybody else. And it's to, it's to understand the, the belief or to establish the belief around the control and power that he has within. So yeah, that, that takes time, that takes practice. But I mean, it's, it's also something that's impossible to do on your own, which is why you're doing the work you're doing today and I'm doing the sort of work I'm doing today. I think men need men in order to, as you as you put it, rise to the occasion. Yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's so important, and I'm interested too in terms of how your perception of sex has changed from you now. Let's go way back to before you began in the porn industry to where you are now. Has your I'm sure your perception has changed on a massively, yeah, yeah. massively. It's gone through so many iterations. I mean. I remember when I was a kid, right? I remember because I lost my virginity. I just turned 17. And and me and my girlfriend at the time, we were both virgins. So we both knew nothing, right? It was like, you know, we went on this ski vacation and it was super romantic. But at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, this is so great. And I can now look back at that. And I was like, oh, it's horrible. Oh, my God. Right. Like, I didn't know anything. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, there was just no, no knowledge. Um, and then, then I went through a number of different iterations. I went through the journey. There was the, okay, I am trying to, you know, because once I got in the porn business and I started to become famous, it was like, okay, I was the most athletic in terms of what I could do. So that became the basis for a lot of my sex was the athleticism. Um, and then it moved to me really starting to understand and, and feel women and feel women's bodies and say, okay, what, what is going on here? So that, yeah, the athleticism, athleticism is there if I need to call on it, but it's not based on that. It's really based on being able to feel into somebody so that's really what's taken me to where I am now. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that you can, you can get there unless you go through all the stages. Like mm-hmm. you, you need to go through where you don't know anything, then you need to go through where maybe you're doing everything to try to learn or trying to please them. And then it almost becomes later on, you're, you're learning just what works and how you're pleasing yourself and through pleasing yourself, you're pleasing them. It goes through so many different iterations of what sexuality can be, but I'll say this at this point, I know who I am. I know what I like. Um, and I think that's very useful. And I, I like to tell a lot of guys like, you know, find out what it is you like. And know it, 
because I think most people don't know necessarily what it is they like. And if you don't know, you don't really have a roadmap, at least when it comes to sex. You know, people end up in relationships and then they might say, okay, well, the girl ticks this box and this box and this box, but they've never really thought about the sex box Mm -hmm. because sometimes people think that, well, okay, it's all the same. And if you've never had really good sex, then you may think that, but if, if your mind has been open to what is possible, well, now you start looking at that as that's another box that you need to have checked off. Because I think if you know what it is you like, and you now can find a partner that has those traits and those qualities, your sex life is just going to be so much better because you're not now seeking something new. You're not cheating on somebody like you're like, look, here's what I like. I've made this commitment to this person. uh, And I'm happy with my choice, but that can only come with exploration and you knowing what works for you. Um, You know, and I I talk about a lot where I talk about um, sexual alignment because I don't believe that what people like to bandy about as sexual chemistry is really what they mean. They mean sexual alignment and that's biological. And that's what I've noticed through my time. I mean, I, I, I wrote about that earlier in my first book about what I called the four different types of pussies and my epiphany with that experience and how it sort of shaped my view of sex because you cannot um, communicate through biology. And what I mean by that is people will often, you know, these pundits, these gurus will say, well, if you just communicate better, your sex life will be better. That's like saying like, well, if I communicate better, I can play in the NBA. Last time I checked, no amount of communication is going to make me seven feet tall. So if there's a a biological impediment, you know, like the, 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 the penis of a giant do not match, do not line up. There's no amount of communication that's going to fix that. And people need to accept that and say, you know what, maybe this isn't the person for me. Maybe because I, I see so often people that I know, they get in a relationship and they think they can change biology. And I tell them, you can't. If it's not there in the beginning, it's not going to magically, biology is not going to get better. The biology is what you have to work with. And then you can coach certain things. But again, I can coach myself to throw three pointers better, but I cannot coach myself to be seven feet tall. And that's a fundamental difference that I think most people aren't paying attention to when they talk about, you know, sex and sexuality, because they always bring it back to just purely communication. And that's, that's not even half of it. Still feels good though, doesn't it? I mean, I've never experienced a bad pussy. Oh, I have. Have yeah. Well, oh you, yeah. Oh yeah. You, you uh, said just yeah, a few yeah. more women than I have. Yeah, but yeah, and so and that's where I bring down my experience from because I. You also have more to compare to as well. Yeah, this is true, and but that's also why I say like, well, you have to understand that that it does exist out there, right? Um, you can be with a woman where it's painful and it's painful for you as a guy. And so when it's painful, you're like, yeah, I don't really want to do this that much. Right. Like I can do it here and there and sure it's okay. But, um, but no, not that, not that fun. Right. So, um, and that's at, at the extremes of different types. So that's why I bring it up to people's attention because, you know, sometimes people will have kind of a, blase sex life and they don't really understand why because they sort of think that you know all these things are equal and i'll tell them well no they're not um and it's not that one specific type is better than another but subjectively it will be better for you Mm. and once you know your type now you can at least go forward and say okay well if i come across this woman and she's this specific type i know just from a physiological sensory perspective i know it's going to feel amazing now what else is there right like what can we how do we match up when it comes to compatibility sexual compatibility i mean how do we match up with pheromones and how do we match up with vibration energy how do these other things match up but now we have the first key piece which is the alignment piece and i think the alignment piece counts for more of sexual enjoyment than almost anything else yeah that's interesting 
it's almost I think the perception most people have is that 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 comes at the end yeah the no, it's, it comes at the end but for you yeah that's the, that's the beginning and now you start to cultivate your relationship around that yeah well for me it was I, I had the I, I remember having the first um, epiphany when I oh god I think it was like 2001 2002 and I was I was doing a scene with two ladies and I started the scene and and you know with the with the first woman we were in the first position and it was like five strokes was all I could last. And I was like, Jesus, like, what's going on here? Like, I got to like figure this out somehow because I got another 59 minutes to go. Right. Like we, I got to figure this out. And I remember pivoting to the, to the other young lady and no problem. I could go forever. Right. And I said, okay, well, this is, um, I must've just like recouped, right. Like got my second wind and everything's okay. And then I went back to the first lady and it was five strokes again. I said, okay, something is different. And that's where I started over the years thinking, what is it? And so that's where I sort of came to these specific qualitative differences in, in the way the skin is on the inside that actually matters for your enjoyment as a man. And, and like I said, it's all subjective because I've spoken to guys where, where we've, we've been with the same women and they will say it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'll be like, eh, no. So, so, and vice versa. Right. And that's why I said like, nothing's better than another. It's just, you will find a type that does resonate with you. And that does become a part of sexuality because once you know what that type is, it's just another thing where you can say, okay, when I'm looking at a future partner, I'm looking at somebody that I could spend a long time with. I do want to make sure that we are aligned in this because, you know, yeah, sex isn't everything in a relationship, but it is sort of a big piece of the glue that holds it together. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you, you've kind of seen this. I mean, what are the two biggest fights that probably men and women have? Sex and finances. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So how can, we, how can we sort of set ourselves up to limit whatever strife and, and, and heartbreak and drama that could potentially be there? Yeah. At least if there's no money in the bank, we can have good sex. <laughs> and, and it counts for a lot. I've, yeah, I've told a lot of my, my, um, my clients, I said, you know, you would be shocked, you know, because everybody likes to think, well, women want money, women this. I said, no, no, no. I, I've seen from my own personal experience, if, if you can really get your skills in the bedroom dialed in, um, it has a lot of value because most guys don't. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and it's not a slight against men, but I mean, most guys just don't know, really know what they're doing, not on the level that they can deliver, you know, orgasms after orgasms after orgasms to women. And if you, if you have those skills, women will put up with a lot, <laughs> you know, they just will. Well, if, I mean, they're not going to let you go that easy. So that's true. Well, if, if you can take control of the situation in the bedroom and, and come across powerful in that situation, yeah. then she's going to trust you more to take control yeah. of other aspects in life and other aspects in the relationship. So yeah. Um, yes. I've one final question. Sure. How do you feel about your sexual content being out there for potentially the rest of your life and, and the lives of others who come after you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny um, in the sense of there's a piece within it where, and I think this really speaks to also guys abilities in the bedroom too, because you, you really do need to get at peace with your own sexuality. And, and you got to get at peace with any guilt and any shame and anything of that nature, because the, the, the shame and guilt piece is, is one of the roots behind um, sexual dysfunction, right? We are so worried and you can even see it. I mean, just go to the gym, right? I, mean, I always say like the gym is a great place to experience where people's mindsets are at 
because you go to the, to, to, to the gym and you'll see that guy in the locker room that he goes to the showers and he may as well be draped with every towel known to man because God forbid anybody sees him naked. He probably showers with all the towels still on him there and then makes his way back, right? And then you say, okay, well, how's he showing up in the bedroom with his significant other? Like, what, what is that level of guilt and shame? So for me, it, it's really been just a, a freeing perspective. I mean, it's kind of funny, not funny, but, you know, it's usually now my expectation. Anybody that I've talked to at some point has looked me up. I mean, I remember um, I had, uh, when I was living in Los Angeles, I, I had one, one hairstylist and uh, she was a, a nice, beautiful, blonde Swedish woman, right? And, uh, and her kind of assistant in the hair salon was this, uh, this crazy gay man. And, you know, they knew who I was and what I did. Right. And, and at some point the guy talks to, uh, talk to the, uh, the Swedish woman is like, it's like, Oh, well, well, of course you, you've looked him up. And she's like, Oh no, I could never do that with my clients. She's like, did you, he goes five minutes after I heard who he was, she's like, I was on it. And so I'm used to that. Right. So even from that perspective, you, you have to be comfortable with your choices you have to be comfortable with your sexuality and, and you got to let go of the guilt and the shame and all these other things, because it's really that guilt and shame that's going to hold you back when you're in the sexual interaction, when you're thinking about the past, you're thinking about the past events, you know, you're thinking about your childhood, all these different things. And that's, that's what you really need to let go of. So for me, I'm totally cool with it. Um, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, it is, it is out there and it is something that I do know it's, it's my, my first sort of impression is, okay, whoever I'm talking to has at some point looked me up and seen me naked. And it's kind of, you know, for me, it's kind of funny from that perspective. I'm sure I've come across you on my porn addiction days. Yeah. Several times. So, oh yeah, everybody <laughs> has, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's horrible that I have some, uh, some close friends who, you know, they're, they're not porn addicts, but you know, they use it on occasion and, yeah. and they'll all say that I've totally ruined it for them because <laughs> they'll, yeah. there'll be some, some girl and they're like, already they're going to have their evening alone. And they're like, then you walk in and they're like, Oh, click. And they just shut it off. They're like, yeah, done. Turn off, turn off. So, do, you, do you look back on, on that life and feel proud? You know, it's, it's mixed. I, I, pride isn't a sense of it's weird because it's very neutral. It's not that I'm proud of it in sense of like in terms of my life and I'm not against it. I mean, when I look at porn in general, for me, it skews slightly net negative on society. Yes. So, I mean, and that's simply because, you know, I've been to so many different conventions. I've seen the impact on all sorts of normal people and definitely for the amount of people that they'll say porn saved their marriage, it's way more where it destroyed the marriage. So, you know, do I think it's the worst thing in the world? No. Do I think it's saving marriages and, and people's relationships around the world? No. So if I was to look at it, I think it's like a negative two um, on the scale. So it's not, it's not a pride thing, but what I am, what I am proud of is that I got the, the knowledge that I wanted out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I just know there'd be no way that I could work with men today. If I didn't have that as my background, mm -hmm. if I didn't have all of it as my background, you know I mean? You know, my, my, my childhood, how I grew up, how I was, teased as a kid, being the fat kid in high school, um, you know, getting super in shape, becoming one of the top porn stars in the world. Um, and then taking that knowledge and seeing, okay, well, now that I have access to this knowledge, how can I better the lives of other people that are in a similar space? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that they want to be in just a monogamous relationship. They want to be with their high school sweetheart. And so they don't want to go sleep with 
20, 30, 50, 100 women. They just want to have the best sex that they can have with their significant other. And so now I can give them that knowledge and they don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. They can just have the knowledge, practice on their significant other, gain the competence that they need to be really, really good in the bedroom without going through any sort of crazy experiment because it's it's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're using that experience to better men's lives. And where can these men find you? And I know you've got a couple of books. So all the links will be added in the show notes below, man. So go check it out. But um, yeah, where's the best place to, to get you at? Yeah, usually uh, best place is ericeverhard.com or crushingperformanceanxiety.com. Either one of those, uh, they can get my course on how to overcome their problems mentally in the bedroom so that they can perform the best that they want to on command every time. And then uh, ericeverhard.com, I do private one-on-one 12-week masterclasses so they can just reach out to me and we can uh, we can get them sorted. Brilliant, man. Well done, because it is uh, it is a big issue at the moment. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Yes, been brilliant. Talk soon, my man. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.